What is up? Welcome back to Jammers in the Rough. I know you all missed me last week, so nope. I'm back. I was too busy getting my butt kicked at Dela, so I do apologize for that. I should have joined us, and maybe that good chemistry and camaraderie would have carried me over to a successful bout at Masters Cup, but unfortunately, it didn't, and I was punished, so the wrath of Josh and Cody were definitely felt, but we got an amazing guest with us today for you all. Danny, the man, the man, the author, the what is it? Smooth as butter, silk. This individual, Dr. Butter, Mr. Butter. You called me Mr. Butter one time. It was the best compliment I ever got on Mr. Butter. That's what Mr. it was. I couldn't remember what it was exactly, but I don't know. He has the smoothest form I've ever seen, and I'll talk Ooh. more about that in a second. But uh, as always, we have Josh, the bearded man, Winter. We got Cody, the absolute worst, and as always, I'm back page so danny welcome to the show how you been thanks man thanks for having me i've been well it's um you know anyone who's local to portland oregon knows that it's been really nice weather for the past few days and it's the kind of thing that uh i think improves everyone's mood dramatically and also very conducive to playing disc golf so i'm very happy i got to was we were talking about just before we got started here Got to play some of uh, Milo McIver yesterday, and uh, yeah, still buzzing on the vibes. I know. I feel like everyone's excited for OTB weekend, but BSF is where like all my attention's at. We have the qualifier next Tuesday. We have a new gold layout at BSF, um, so not new eighteen holes. They just redesigned the course to be one fluid eighteen holes, and it's bigger, harder, better than ever before. Like I'm really it, excited for is that. It playing a lot different, like. I think the the flow is different because so for me in years past like BSF had like on each side west and east has like three or four holes that are kind of soft reset points for yourself so if you start off kind of slow you're like okay here's these couple birdies that are going to come through or if you started bad here's this couple birdies or you know here's something to build on if you're doing good they have these reset holes um and they're usually shorter putter only holes I think if you watch coverage you kind of can know them I think Cole aced one last year and put the sea otter on the map. And so I think these holes are great. They're fun, but they're not, I don't think, uh, silver series level holes. So what they did is they took those out. They put 18 fresh, you know, not fresh, but they took 18 of the most scenic holes, redesigned some holes, complete FPO revamp and actually designed the course for FPO, which I don't think a lot of people do um, to make it flow even better. But so for me, it plays entirely different because you don't have those resets. Almost every single hole, it's like this is a good par. This is challenging birdie one after another. So it becomes more taxing than I think BSF years past. Whereas like, what was it? Girthy shot like 13 or 14 down last year and just shredded it. And it's like, okay, this is kind of teetering on easy. I'd be I'd be hard pressed to see somebody get 10 down out here. But that's just me. What about you, Danny? How does it play for you? I um I really enjoyed it. I I don't think I'd really thought about it the way um you just said it until then, but yeah, there was not a break because I think, you know, Milo McIver um you get a lot of like those challenging par 3s that are like, you know, 350 plus um and then there were previously on the course, yeah, some like, you know, 200 250 foot par 3s where it's like, all right, like you know, and it, it, there's pressure on those holes for sure because you feel like you got a birdie. But uh, at the same time, like every shot counts almost more like, you know, when you go play Blue Lake, you're like, do not take a mental break out here because you can run up your score really fast. Uh, I love the work that um, that uh, the guy is doing out there. Um, is it mostly Jesse? Uh, yeah, I was say, uh, huge shout out to Jesse Tomano, tournament director, all day yeah. disc golf. If you're in Portland this next week, look them up. They put a lot of TLC into the course, like literally hauling out blackberry bushes, laying fresh mulch, organizing yeah. the player parties and planning of that, all of that. So Jesse Tomano, huge shout out, but yeah. Yeah. There were some pathways between the, like between the holes through the woods with like nice mulch and like little walkways that were like really nicely done. I mean, it, it's already just the absolute Mecca, one of the best courses in the world, 
Um, but it looks great. I thought there were a couple new pin placements, or maybe just one that I'm thinking of that was like, ooh, I love that. That's fun. On a hole that was already challenging, uh, it's usually East 8, the one along the river. Um, after you go the big downhill, it's one of the hardest holes on the course. And it plays along, along the Clackamas, and you either got to fire it big hyzer to the left or like uphill to the right and they meet back there it's brutal hole and there's a new pin placement over to the right that i was like i thought that was a really nice touch on a hole that's it was already challenging but kind of impossible to birdie i think some of the pros are going to throw some amazing uh right-handed backup flip flip up shots that are are going to be like a, a that will be like a sick hole to see people try and birdie that they well, i would say previously hardly anyone was birdieing also like i think it's the only course that i've been to where they're looking at their drainage issues on the greens. So there's like a handful of French drains that got put in around new uh, pin placements. And if you don't know what a French drain is, it's kind of designed and acts as like a tank where the water will seep into the ground, drain over to this French drain away from the area. It'll fill this kind of tank-like hole and then slowly dissipate. Um, and they're putting this in. I, I couldn't, I didn't even count, but there was at least like four or five that I noticed almost instantly. Um, that's like the only course that's starting to figure out like let's take some of this drainage seriously and get this water away from like tough areas especially in such a wet climate and i think that's gonna i'm really curious to see how it's gonna play out in some of these wetter months in the future but um kind of looking at other courses to do something similar i don't think i've ever seen a drain on any disc golf course that's impressive yeah no that's i mean the only reason I know what a French drain is is because my contractor, who was like a wood savant, was like, hey, I'm taking this rhododendron out. They suck up so much water. You need a French drain. Otherwise, you're probably going to get flooding. So he dug it. He explained it to me. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. So anywhere I'm at, I'm like, we should put a French drain right here. They're super easy. <laughs> All you got to do is like River Rock, which is like $30 a yard. And boom, buried. It's there. <laughs> I'll say PVC pipe with holes in it. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's what they use for foundations pretty much everywhere. So that's cool that to see a French drain on a disc golf course. Multiple. Is River Rock only $30 a yard? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cheap. It's it depends really on what kind you get, but like you can use all sorts of it. But I don't think we're getting into landscaping prices. I don't at think this people point, but... like, because people I feel like go to like Home Depot and they're like, hey, give me a bag of this and they're like $20 instantly. But it's like when you go to like the old like quarries where they're just like you pull up your truck and you're like, hey, I need this. And they're like, do you want this size or this size? And it's like usually 20 to 40 bucks. It doesn't get if you're buying by the yard. Yeah. yeah. That's what I do with mulch and stuff. Just mm -hmm. buy by exactly. the yard. Exactly. Mulch is so like 20 bucks, cheaper. 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah. For a full yard. Let's let's Josh, let's get into landscaping. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just had three yards we... of uh, soil delivered and I only needed two. It took me a minute. To figure out where to put the other yard of soil. Spread yeah. it out. No, I, I needed a level of spot in my backyard and ended up getting like four yards myself. And yeah, it was like 100 bucks, 120 bucks. Not bad. But that's not what we're here to talk about, guys. We're yes, here to talk. <laughs> we have a guest and we're talking about landscape pricing. It's important. Well, I mean, I'm here for it. He took off his sleeve, so it just <laughs> makes me think like landscaper. He's just out there pruning his garden. Showing off the guns. Guest wearing a, a tank top, and I'm kind of jealous. Well, I, I saw I, him earlier. Like he's our most handsome guest so far. Oh I man! Just, I mean, Paige will hit on you. I will. I had, I had not been alerted that we would be uh, camera on, um, <laughs> and I probably would have would you know formaled it up a little bit, uh, joining guys in the graphic tea realm. But you have know. you looked at the rest of us, dude? You're you're not. <laughs> you're fine, have, man. I don't have air conditioning. It's about 80 degrees, so you know I feel pretty good the way I am. Uh, I did bring a couple discs to touch. I don't know if you guys do this. And I was like, oh, we're on camera. All the time. Yeah. Like, I'm watching a movie. Um, <laughs> I, I'm like, you know, I'm, or just, you know, YouTube videos. I'm watching coverage. I usually am touching a disc. Do you guys do that? All the I time. keep one in my yeah. car. I drive yeah. around with them in my car. See, actually, that's funny. I don't, I don't have one in my car all the time. But when I'm going to go play, I will take usually my putter and put it up front with me so that i'm just sitting in stoplights doing this um so that you know so it's like hole one with your 25 foot look or whatever you're like oh yeah i've been touching that thing for half an hour when yeah. i drove to texas for 28 hours i had two discs up front with me the whole time and i just switched between them and i'd just sit here and one hand on the wheel mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's comfort no i feel like that's one of the most things like 
because touching a disc, it's your grips are uncomfortable. However you grip the disc, it's just getting used to that and comfortable with that. I think is huge. So I still fondle the hell out of discs um, and just get that get that comfortability on it, especially when I'm working a new grip. So this is like my modified fan grip that I throw my mid-ranges on. It's just like learning this this summer with uh, Justin Anderson was like, okay, cool. Now everywhere I'm go, I'm just like, grab the disc, grab the disc. But I'm right there with you. Yeah. So, so I want to hear, this is what I've been looking forward to. This is my, my biggest question. The only question I, I've thought about this. Um, so you're a disc golfer and that's how we met, but you're also a writer and you know, I love books. I got back into a book. I meant to read your, read your book this weekend. I picked up a different book and finished it and was reading that. So I do apologize for not fully reading your book quite yet, but um, it's on my, my docket list. But how do these worlds collide and how did they, how did they intermingle for you? I, uh, well, first of all, thanks for even buying my book. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I forgive you for not uh, <laughs> finishing it yet. Um, I, um, yeah, I, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. Like, that was just what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I've had other jobs um, my whole life. I'm 39. I got my first book deal when I was 34. Um, and actually, I discovered disc golf. My friend Miles introduced me to. You played with Miles before, right? Yep. You, you met Miles. We we um he introduced me to disc golf when I was thirty three. So actually, around the same time, I started becoming a professional writer. Um, but I've been you know I've been writing since since much before I I got the contract. Um, and um, I mean I think the obvious way in which they collide is like, um, they're difficult. Uh, because, um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like when I tell people what I do for work and that I write novels that people are like, oh, wow, I could never do that. I'm like, you know, I mean, if you really wanted to, could you, you know, like, because, you know, like, I mean, people doggedly pursue things, you know, like, 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 what are you doing? And I mean, you know, I, I, anyone who could be a professional disc golfer, um, could write a novel. I'm not saying it'd be good, but you, you know, you know, people are working their ass off to be a professional disc golfer. And if, if you see a book on a shelf, I don't care. I don't really like that many books because I'm picky because I've been doing it a long time. But I'm still just respect anyone who puts in the effort. So, you know, I think that they dovetail in that way. And then the challenge for me is when it's sunny out to stay in my chair and write and not go play disc golf. Because if you're self-employed, any, any of you guys self-employed? No, but I'm working from home and yeah. I sneak out probably way too much <laughs> yeah, in order to do just what you're saying. I was like, oh, I got this meeting at one. Let me take it on the road as I drive to the disc golf course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I played like I got I played casually like recreational disc golf for about a year. Um, and then, you know, you know how it is, right? Like the first time you just snap out like a nose down Heiser flip and you're like, oh, like this isn't just some way to go out with your buddies and like have a beer in the woods. Like this is actually like, you know, you get the bug. And so that was the year I was finishing my first book and I was just like wrestling myself in that chair. But I drove to Pier Park deciding my workday was over at like, you know, 2.30 PM, um, you know, three, four times a week that year. Um, and I still, I still finished the book. So I think that, you know, there's like a, discipline involved in being good at disc golf and a lot of discipline involved in being a writer in my life they have sometimes come into conflict with each other um but i think i learned a lot i was playing sports long before i got into disc golf i played a lot of basketball in my life um learning how to put in the work to do the unfun parts um was a big important part of how i succeeded as a writer accepting that you know you only get results if you are willing to grind so I do got to ask, like, when you're writing, have you snuck any of, like, your favorite, like, greens and tee shots or whatever? Or just like, oh, he walks up this narrow fairway about 300 feet, and then he dog legs to the left, and then there's this guy, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. I mean obviously, I'm not a writer. I'm not right. as articulate with the words, but have you ever snuck something like that in? That was good. You should write that down. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because, like, my my first – my the two books I have out – um, uh, the first one's called Beijing Payback, 
um, and it takes place between Los Angeles and Beijing. And the second one um, takes place between Seattle and Mexico City. So there's not a lot of like beautiful wooded fairways. You know, these are like big, major, some of the most populated cities in the world. Um, there's definitely been times where I've been like, man, these would be incredible, like, not just weapons, but like, hey, what if you need to get a listening device up on like a high, you know, like a the 35th like floor? 450, um, 450 like, feet away, you're like... <laughs> throw a thumber, baby. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think, you know, for people who read, Beijing Payback has a fair amount of basketball in it. The protagonist is a college basketball player. And what happens in the story is his father's murdered and he has to solve the crime. And he has to go from California to China to get revenge or payback Ooh. In, yeah um and so his um this the first scene of the book is is on the basketball court and it's in practicing and you see the ways in which sports has prepared him physically and psychologically for the kind of physical and psychological challenges he's going to have solving a crime and solving a murder um and, you know, there's, like, knife throwing in the book, spinning objects, not discs, you know. But, like, I think anything you do that's, like, tactile and physical where you're thinking about where things are and where you're standing and how fast you can get from one place to another and that kind of thing, it informs writing good action. So in that sense, I would say disc golf has definitely influenced my writing. Literally, it's like, you know, hey, man, nothing. It's, I was at a place the other day where someone's like, how high do you think that is? Someone was like, I bet that's 70 feet. I looked at it and I was like, circle two, that's 55 feet. Like I knew it, you know, nothing else. <laughs> this golf makes you really good at knowing when something is 33 feet long. You know, you're like, yeah, that's inside or outside, I can tell. Yeah, I can put this, I can put this. So it's like, yeah. you know, at least circle two. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Can that's you sneak the word hyzer into your next book? Just like hyzer. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> you know, one thing I've thought about, I mean, what you guys are doing here is really cool. And I, I'm like, who's going to be the Bill Simmons of disc golf? Because I'm down. Like, I would love to write about disc golf, but I would have to probably like pack up my whole life and go on tour and like follow these guys around and stuff. But like, there's no good disc golf website with right. Like Ultra World has some coverage, but like you don't get like in-depth coverage of disc golf written coverage. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I should just get a divorce and go do that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if the divorce is something I would propose, but I'm I'm on board with everything else. As you just see, like a disc, hit, yeah, you see a disc fly in from his wife. And right. Yeah. Oh. that's the what is it? The Eagle McMahon Skull Crusher. It's gonna be the McMahon Payback. Yeah. <laughs> just write that. The the wife of the guy who got hit chasing after Eagle going on tour. <laughs> that was a crazy thing that happened, by the way. That was. That was. Like, bone chilling they got it yep. did you guys hear if there was any sort of changes to policy after that thing happened i don't think so i don't think be on the coverage side of it like the cameraman maybe they have worked better spotting into it but i don't think there's anything helmets. changed if you see dudes <laughs> with helmets filming then you're no i mean yeah. seriously that guy could have been like you know oh, was no, he no, jones or was he somebody else I, don't know. I thought it was a uh, gatekeeper right second second card Maybe. I oh, no, was, I it DGN. was it DGN? Yeah, I, I thought I, I heard, heard somebody DGN. say that, that like Jomez or another company like will spot for their guys and say like he's going over the top, so everyone's like looking up. But yeah, but if he didn't it was have gatekeeper, game. there could be a some more Shortage. to it. Like yeah. you know, there was that that uh, deal struck between DGN <laughs> and Jomez, and they get rid of the competition. That's really what happened. Was like Jomez got in trouble. Like, all right, guys, we're pulling your rights. You're grounded. We're gonna absorb you, all for this this one incident. This so they're one putting hits on hits out. on cameraman. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're just helping with this book idea. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. you go. You wanted you wanted uh, some of that input. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I, did you guys ever see a movie called? Um, I mean, what are the, there's a bunch of good basketball movies. Love and basketball. Basketball Diaries. Um, basketball Diaries, right. Um, that is a solid one. What's going to be the first? Coach Carter. Coach Carter. I love Dude, that come one. On, I man. tied that shoe. Um, Hoosiers? I mean, come on. There's so many yeah. good ones. What's Air gonna Bud? Be the first uh, good disc Air Bud. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not Air Bud. Oh, yeah. Sure. No, that's a high-quality film. Uh, um, have you guys ever watched uh, Eight Seconds? No, what's that? It's about Lane Frost. He's a bull rider. Him, Tuff Hedeman, Ty Murray. Um, kind of before they created PBR. Anyways, it's a great movie. 
but it tackles a lot of like being on the road rather than just like here's the action shots of bull riding you know and so it's like you get this whole like hey waiting on lane while they pull up to this house and he's late and they're waiting for this guy to show up so they can get on the road and you know and so i always thought like a disc golf movie would be great in that sense of being like not so much about like the 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 tournament and the event but what leads up to it right like Mm -hmm. oh we're on the road we're just leaving another event we barely have enough gas we get here you know and like it's all the camaraderie the chemistry the joking the you know, hey, it's a players meeting, it's awkward fans, it's all of this stuff. Right. And then here's the event, you know, because I think it's... The rivalries, the romances, you know. Exactly. Ooh, yeah. romance. And so I always thought that would be a cool way to do a disc golf movie instead of just being, uh, you know, just, oh, here's 18 holes, the perfect 18, Paul yeah. McBeth just wakes up rocky traded, like, pulling, <laughs> <laughs> pulling a car, whatever he can. Yeah. Um, Instead of doing it that kind of movie, I kind of like those other other ideas. So whoever's listening to this, if you create a movie, I just ask for ten percent. That's it. You can use my idea. <laughs> Danny can write it. Danny can write it. I'm down. I'm down. You know, I actually went to Milo before the Beaver State fling last summer, and like all the all the pros were there practicing, and <laughs> I parked by this trailer, and I got out, and there was like a loud domestic argument going on inside i'm not going to say who the disc manufacturer was or who i think was having the argument because i don't really know for sure but i was like i'm gonna move my car like just a few spaces away because these people were like shouting at each other in the trailer and it is you know it's funny the funniest the coolest thing because i've been going to the portland open now for about three years um is that this is like actually a tour uh, still, so it actually is like I'm sure it's super rich in like drama and rivals. Like this is a small thing where a bunch of guys like a circus, like a tour. You know, like the PGA Tour isn't a tour where these guys drive from place to place. The Disc Golf Pro Tour still is, and I know some of the bigger names are like flying now, but like literally a bunch of trailers. <laughs> you know, all these people travel together, not just the athletes, but also like the you know the media people and everything. And then they all these six foot four guys hop out and start like doing their like stretchy bands and stuff. And it's like, man, like there's definitely some good stories. You know, who's partying together afterwards? You know, all that kind of thing. And it's cool to see it in this early stage when it still is very you know accessible and personable in that way. I was saying we had Gavin Babcock on one week, and he was talking about it from like his van. So uh, and he was talking about how they travel with his buddies and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. Write a book, man. Write it. All right. The disc golf book. Well, I think, too, like, you're, you bring up a good point. Like, the random things that happen on a disc golf course, like the domestic, like, argument and everything. I know I showed up to Milo one time. And I was like, I really like this backdrop. And this is what I was doing to Ask Uncle. And so I was being videoed. So Ask Uncle is like, people write questions in. Our youth would. And we would answer them as a relative team. And so... I was recording the answers, but there's like one where I'm like talking suicide prevention and suicide hotline and answering these things with Milo in the backdrop before I was about to play around. And it's just like, oh yeah, the random happenstance is on a disc golf course. There's probably, you know, few and far between and definitely like random out there. So just go plop down on hole one and write everything you see. Yeah. We got 19 year old something. Looks like he grabbed a disc for the first time. Too cool for school. Rips, nose up, stalls out, lands yeah. in the French drain. Let's see how he bogeys this hole. Are you just trying to see how many times you can say French drain on this podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. That's going to be like, whoever can tell me how many times I say French drain on this episode will get a disc. There you go. Cody will count them up. Yeah, sure, I will. Uh, <laughs> I will definitely make that number up. <laughs> I, I do it all you the guys. time. I'm curious, like, how much has disc golf affected actually, like, so I feel like when I started playing disc golf, I tried to get everybody I knew to play disc golf, like, including my then-girlfriend, now wife, um, and all my friends. And then at a certain point, I got good enough where it's like, I don't really want, you know, it's like, unless you got really into it, you stay home, and I'm going to go. And like, so it's like you don't take life. it as serious. You don't take it as seriously as I do, so I don't want to get no out way. there. No way. No way. And definitely don't bring so-and-so who's going to talk while I'm putting. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't Is that know, why you I don't guess... play with me? You went out yesterday, didn't invite me? Oh, that checks really... out. <laughs> that checks out. 
I would never. Um, yeah, no, I think that, you know, I'm just like, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, I was joking about divorce. My, my partner and I are very happily together. She supports me in my disc golf endeavors very thoroughly. But like, you know, it's funny. Like, there's like, I really took out all my friends. And, you know, Michael Patnode, who you also know, Paige, like, he was the one who was like, I love this. I'm going to do it all the time. Now we hang out a lot more. You know, it's like, yeah. kinda, it affects who you, you know, it's like, that's what you want to do while you're going to spend time together. I think, I mean, it definitely impacted that. I was actually having that thought today where it's like, you know, I used to get asked for form advice a lot more when I was an amateur rather than when I'm a pro. Seems like not as many people talk to me about some of these things that I was having conversations with even like six months ago. Um, and so I wasn't sure if that was because I'm surrounding myself with people that are taking it as seriously as me. So they don't ask, or if it's like, I'm just not approachable anymore. Um, well, it's does. definitely been definitely been across my mind, but I know I take it way too. Like I'm doing a podcast every Thursday at six or seven or six to seven, and it's just like, oh, yeah, it's become a big chunk of my life. I talked to my brother. I was like, I think I need a new hobby because disc golf is no longer a hobby. It's a big chunk of what I'm doing. Right. So I need something to take a break from my hobby. I was like, when did it turn to this? And it's not even like my disc collecting anymore. It's like, oh yeah, I have my podcast. I drove. I was at Dayla for a week and a half. I'm practicing this afternoon. I met up with so-and-so yesterday. It's just like, even when I have to like, I got to go check it out. Huck Labs all day disc golf, disc golf depot, do my rounds and say hi. Like it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a combination of things why you're not asked anymore. Uh, I think they probably listen to the podcast and know that they'll be <laughs> talked over. Um, and then also they just see your form and they're like, eh, I'm going to move on. <laughs> I, I say, hate to be the bearer of that. Make sure. <laughs> I am Mr. Uh, biologically <laughs> superior. <laughs> That's all I use. That's like I use my my biological superiority over everybody. I am stronger, therefore I throw further. That's all I do. <laughs> but you're saying that so Danny's the smoothest disc golf. I, ever I love his form. I yeah, think yeah. you can what tell about it is the smoothest part. Like so, what, what makes it so smooth? So for me. I boil it down to there's two types of people in a lot of athletics. There's the analytical and then there's the intuitive. And to me, Danny's form is very analytical in its process. So you can tell like everything that he's doing has been thought about. It's been planned. It has intention behind it. It's not like, like me where I'm just like, turn my brain off rip. Like, Everything you can just see, he's just so methodical and analytical with his approach. He's do-do. He reaches back. As he reaches back, he has, like, this smooth follow-through with it. Like, it's – to me, it's one of the, the purest, like, uh, disc golf forms that I've seen because of that, that, that analytical side of things, because of the intent that's going into it, because of the follow-through, because of how smooth he's at. He's not trying to go above his means, but therefore he's also not trying to go underneath his means. He's just – He's smooth with it, and that's what uh, for me, anyways. That's the best way I could describe it. Um, okay, no, that's good. I'm just like when I watch him play, I could literally watch him throw nonstop, and I enjoy it. <laughs> there's not very many golfers that I, that I find that I like that. So there's your compliment, Danny. Yeah, I mean that's an amazing compliment. You play a lot of disc golf. You watch a lot too. So honestly, that makes me feel great to hear. Because I mean, I'm not like a, you know, um, a, a super good disc golfer uh but i i do think i have good form and, and you know it is you're totally right and I, we've never talked about it before but i have definitely put in my years at disc golf university on youtube you know the the lazat the will schusterick all the form videos i've watched them all i've t filmed myself um and uh you know it, it was the same for me in basketball like i wasn't good i wasn't intuitive you know like a guy like you know, Michael Patton, that guy is just raw athletic power and he, he tries hard too, but you know, I'm tend to break things down and try and pick them apart. Um, and, um, you know, like try and get the most out of what I got. And another part of it is starting the game at 33, you know, I'm trying to play it for a long time. So, you know, I pretty early on saw some guys throw over 400 feet who were not doing a fast run up. And I was like, oh, you don't have to do that. That's fine, you know. Um, so then I was like, well, I want to figure out how to not do that. Because we are spinning on a bent knee. So if you can do that until your 60s or 70s, you're going to have to do it smoothly. Um, and, um, 
Yeah, but you know, like I said, I'm not like an amazing disc golfer, and I'm not a good bowler either. I'm like an okay bowler. I can bowl like 130, but when I bowl, it's like people are like, "Damn, it looks like you should be way better at that," because it's like you're kicking your leg out, and you're like going through. How come you're not very good at? It? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't think I was born with that much hand-eye coordination, but I do like to try and like get it right, and I'm, you know, like I, I think that's part of the fun for me, and I think that I do like taking disc golf seriously, even though. You know, I'm playing MA1. Um, I'm not trying to go on tour. Uh, I'm not trying to get a sponsorship, although I'm open to it. Um, <laughs> but it's fun to me to take it seriously. It's not because I need to, like, you know, win five bucks off Michael. It's because, like, this is – I want to be absorbed in it. I want to, you know, be detail-oriented, keep track of, like, how I'm doing it. It's totally fine for people who don't want to do that. But to me, like, I just get pleasure in, like, improving at something, trying to achieve some mastery. Um, and, uh, and you know, the, what's fun about disc golf is the complexity, you know, like you can lose yourself. That's why people get hooked on it is because there's so much to it. You know what I mean? Like you can, you know, like at first I was like, why the hell would you need a backpack with 20 discs in it? And now I understand that it's because it's a really complex sport. There's all kinds of situations. The weight matters, the plastic matters, how old it is matters. The wind matters, the temperature matters. That's fun. It's like so many details. And so you don't get bored because there's disc golf has so much to offer. That's a good point. It definitely keeps you focused too. It's really easy to. What I love about disc golf is when you're disc golfing, you don't have room to think about anything else. Like you just gotta focus on your yeah. movements, your release, and anytime you're having a bad I day, turn my brain off. I think about away. everything and anything <laughs> outside of disc golf. Yeah, work on that. Oh, every, yeah, I need to work on it. That's like my biggest thing. It's like it's within disc golf and it's outside of disc golf. And I used to be really bad at it. I've gotten a lot better. That's but don't mean to interrupt you, but I my I'm a classic overthinker and everything. Yeah, I mean it it definitely helps me. That's one that's like one of my favorite parts about it is it allows me to just sh- shut everything off and just focus on the sport while I'm doing yeah. it. Um, especially like after hard days, like disc golfing, there's there's nothing else like it. There is no beer that can beat what disc golf does for me. Um, one thing I want to pull up is that on the chat earlier about how serious you get at disc golf and who you're inviting to go play with you. Somebody in the chat wrote, it got so serious for me, my dog lost his invitation. I'm ashamed of this. Wow. Man's (laughs) best friend. Oh, poor Fido. (laughs) It was was really hard not to laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, that was my experience, man. I'm not even kidding. I I didn't have a disc dog, but um, Miles and I... So we started going, um, we had a friend who lived in Estacada. So the first course I ever played in my life was Milo McIver. And we would go there, visit our friend, and then go with his dog, Molly. And Molly was an amazing fetch dog. And so it was great because I would, you know, get my my first driver, which, of course, was like a secondhand blizzard boss, um, and crank it straight into the woods. And then Molly would go bring it out, which was great. Um and then as we got good, <laughs> you know, you get the bug, you get, it's like, like literally like we'd be shouting down the fairway and we would be like, you know, like having a beer as well. Right. Um, we wouldn't be really keeping score. He was so much better than me. And we'd be shouting down the fairway, like Molly, don't drop it, drop it. Like, you know, and when we started actually competing, got into the sport, we had to like leave the dog at home because she couldn't like leave the discs alone, you know? And so I, Hey man, I hear you out there, you know, sorry, Molly, sorry, sorry, Fido, sorry to all the dogs that are getting left at home, but. <laughs> You got to learn. You got to, you know, leave the disc alone. We tried everything. We tried spraying the disc with something she didn't like. It didn't work. Um, so, you know, it's like if, if you can't hang, then you can't come. <laughs> if you can't <laughs> hang. Dang. Yeah. Dang. All right. Another, uh, another question from the chat. It was, uh, when introducing new people to the sport, do you recommend teaching standstill throws or X-step throws? I can answer, at least from my perspective. I'm just yeah, encouraged, not necessarily one or the other. My biggest thing when I bring somebody, introducing them to the game, it's just throw discs. Um, we're going to figure that out if you fall in love with the game and we'll get there. But initially, it's just like I might give a couple of hints, but I just want them to throw as much as they can and want to because that's the funnest part initially. Yeah. It's just chucking a disc. Um, and then if they start to take it seriously, I do like to just go into the X step. Um, I I don't like the standstill approach. I think it's effective and it works for some, but me personally, um, if you've done the grapevine in, in class, if you've done 
you know, different movement, like agility drills, like just being able to kind of slow, methodical, be intentional with how we're doing it. I think kind of working on some of those mechanics early is important because there's a lot of people that get into the standstill and they spend like a year only doing standstills and then they forget how to walk. Um, and so for me, um, like I said, I'm very intuitive. I'm very fluid. So it's like I encourage people just to move, just to throw, just to get out there. And then as we start to get better, we're going to start to dilate it in and find out what's natural. Because like one of my favorite things is Europeans. Um, if you watch their form, they're not they're not trying to be Eagle McMahon. They're not trying to be Paul Macbeth and how they're throwing. A lot of people are like, this is how I throw. And they'll do like a little hop and they'll throw because it's comfortable and it's what works for them. And they're not trying to be anything other than, you know, kind of how they they feel comfortable throwing. And I think there's a beauty to that that I try to convey when at least somebody's new. Because um, I, I still say this game hasn't been figured out because if it was, everybody would have the same form. But not everybody has the same form, but everyone has the key components to the same form, right? Nose angle, release angle, the pull through, the pocket, the power pocket. All of these things are like trans transferable, but they're all different. Matty O's like power pocket is here. You know, Paul Macbeth is here. Drew Gibson comes low to high. Like, finding where that power pocket's going to be for you is different for every individual. So it's kind of like when you, you push a kid, you're like, are you right or left-handed? Like, I don't know. You push them, they take a step back. You're like, hey, look, you're right-footed. That's where we're going to throw off and finding that for them. I don't think enough of that is explored in disc golf. So that's my long-winded answer. Anyone else? I like how to find out if kids are dominant left or right hand, you push them. That's fantastic. <laughs> I help kids at school do this, and I say it's your toothbrush hand. Paige is just out there knocking kids down. He said that's right. That's wrestling. Jeez. That's wrestling. <laughs> Can't be afraid of physicality, no matter one the thing, age. One thing that you said that makes, like, that really resonated with me, Paige, is, like, what I see, and I feel the tendency in myself, is I see experienced disc golfers out there with their buddy, who they're bringing out there or if it's maybe their like girlfriend or something you see it and it's like just people overloading people with information you know like oh no it's okay you want to like make sure your toes are pointed this way and then like you know this is like and like doing that to a beginner first of all they're not going to see results on the next throw right it's so much muscle memory so i totally agree just like go out there and throw discs and i think i tend to give people the tip to not go get a blizzard boss, right? Like go get, go get, you know, a pure, um, or a pure or a buzz or a neutral fairway and just play one disc rounds, you know, and like learn how to throw a neutral disc. I think that's really nice because then you learn how, you know, those discs aren't as unforgiving. They're like, if you throw an overstable disc, it's going to go, you know, it's going to go left no matter how you throw. Right. But, um, but I feel like giving people tons of form tips is really unproductive and kind of overwhelming. Um, and I feel like when I play with someone new, I have to hold back from like, I don't, I want to tell you to do this. Cause I'm noticing, cause I'm very, like we were talking about like very technique and detail oriented, but yeah, people just have fun. And then like, Hey, if you want, you can't, you can you lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. Right. It's like, if you want to get good at this, Hey, check out, log on to YouTube university and check out the Will Schusterick form video. You know what I mean? And you'll learn yeah. yourself if you want to do a standstill or X step or whatever. But you can't make someone do that stuff. And it's hard to teach, you know, someone who's an amateur and is like, hey, man, I thought we we're going to drink a beer in the woods. And like, you're sitting here talking to me, you know, about the power pocket. And like, we've been standing on a tea pad for 10 minutes. Like, that's not that fun. Yeah, yeah nobody likes that, that that guy of like, oh, yeah, let me just overly coach you right now. Like, there's a couple of like YouTube videos that popped up to mind where I'm just are like Instagram reels that just cracked me up. But it's like, yeah, that kind of meme where there's a guy on the wall and he's just like talking to that girl. It's just like, Kind of that energy where yeah. you're just like, yeah, oh, yeah. you're going to do yeah. this? This is what a hyzer is. This is an anhyzer. This is a hyzer flip. Like So overwhelming. So overwhelming. <laughs> you're like, this is a disc. Just throw it. Um, yeah. I think there's a question that came in. Putter our mid-range um, to teach a disc on. I think with the amount of technology that's out here right now, you can't go wrong with either one. I think giving somebody a praxis and a mind bender and telling them to throw it, um, that's all you need. At this point, I think there's great mid-ranges for form teaching um, that are even a little forgiving. Like, I think it used to be like, take the Philippius disc, and then I feel like that's hard to teach on because it's not forgiving. You want a little forgiveness with people. You want them to be like, misrelease something and still see a flight just a little bit that they can correct on. 
Mm. And I think mind benders are great at that. They'll fix some of that um, without being completely overstable, like an MD4, where you're teaching the anti-flexes, but it's not going to turn and burn. Glitches glitch. are great as well. It's yeah. the same kind of thing. These like it'll are bail great you out. for kids. Great yeah. for kids because they're kind of shaped like a traditional Frisbee, which a lot of them know. High glide and just kind of fairly neutral. So I use them with my kids. I use them at schools uh, and they work very well. Yeah, glitch. So there's a question. If you can only choose one disc, I think Cody chose glitch. I chose Mindbender. What's your guys' favorite disc to... Uh, to teach Sean, it's mine's a toss up. It's I, I kind of go like right now. I have my wife; uh, she carries the the Buzz and the Pathfinder. So I think they're both similar enough. Where the uh, Ethos path, Pathfinder is a little a little bit easier to get farther. But what? There's a comment. Sorry, it cracked me up. <laughs> it's all Cody hands kids the glitch. Paige hands them a stern shove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. Tough love. No, it's okay. The tough love. But yeah, tough it's love the, buzz, the, world. the buzz or the pathfinder. It's one of those two. Okay. That's, but I kind of stay away from like fairways or drivers. Just stick with the mids. And yeah. then putters and like a tactic. Putters and mids. Yeah. For uh, approach shots. Yeah. I, uh, I like to um, throw pures. And I think that if I were going to play one disc round with a new person, I'd be like, and I always have them around because it's like, oh, that's my old one. That's my new one. That's the one I haven't put in the bag yet. Um, you know, just grab a pure each and you just throw all backhands. And like, you know, especially when you're new at disc golf, you haven't played it. You don't know that people throw 400. You go out there and you see yourself throw 150 and you're like, oh, I got a good rip in. You know, it's like you don't need a fast disc. Just go out there. Everything's a par five. It's fine. You know, Um and, and when people see what you can do with a putter, and then you can just putt with it too. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, per, the pure or any disc like that, really, I mean, they're not that different to a beginner. There's not gonna, they're not going to see a big yeah. difference between throwing a buzz and throwing a pure. Um, but I think that that's a good way to do it, is to play with slow discs. Um, and I, see, I do see people all the time who can't throw, um, like, putters. Um, and, the, man, they're missing out, especially here in Oregon. Like, you, like you, need, like, you need to throw a putter backhand that's like half the holes in Oregon. So um, I have like six you know, throwing putters in my bag. <laughs> yeah, it's so Surprising fun. You. Too. It's fun. It's it's how you hit gaps for me at least. Um, you know, and like when I see people busting out their their nine speeds or the twelve speeds uh, on these technical lines, it's like, man, you need to get in the world of throwing putters because that you know it's like that's there's so much you can do with a putter. Um, so I really enjoy one disc rounds. Like I'll, if you guys want to just play one disc round tomorrow, I'd be pretty stoked. And you know, you leave the backpack at home and just walking around with one frisbee, it feels great. I will say too, though, back to your original point about like not playing with as many new players or people that are starting out. I think that's partially it, right? Like I know new players are kind of like timid out there the first time, and I think it's better to go out with people that are maybe a little bit more better than you, but not too much that they're just starting out. Like, oh yeah, we're grabbing a six pack or whatever. Um, because when they're like, they don't know, know how to throw 400 feet. And then you're like, Hey, look, throw this. And it's like 350, And that's kind of intimidating. And it's just like, yeah. Oh, there's this huge skill cap that, that forms. Even the person that introduced me was like playing for 10 years, um, super casual guy, but, and didn't really do tournaments. And I'm the one that made him more competitive. Cause it's like, okay, cool. I know that's what you've been for, doing for 10 years. I need to play tournaments. I need to get better. And so, like, he didn't want to get beat by me, so then uh, he had to start stepping up his game, and that was a great way for me to to chase and catch him and then eventually pass him um, because after, like, 10 years, he, like you said, he was just casual. He was, just, he was going to Rockwood, which is a putter putt-putt course, and he's throwing an octane. And, <laughs> oh you know, it's just like that's where he's casual, but now he can play the whole course with putting, and so it's like that mutual way of pushing each other I think is important to, to grow in that game, so... Kind of just going back to your your beginning point that sometimes it's hard to be in like, okay, I've been I've just been playing for four and a half years. I've been grinding for four and a half years to get to where I'm at. Like, mm -hmm. you will never catch me because I'm not going to stop. Kind of mindset um, because I have people that I'm trying to catch that <laughs> are just like four months ahead of me, six months ahead of me, three years ahead of me. Yeah, um, and I'm trying to bridge that gap. So it's like sometimes that could be a little daunting um, for a new player to have that kind of energy. So. That might be why people don't like to play with me. 
No. That's maybe why Danny didn't invite me yesterday. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know. I mean, I'll, Michael I'll didn't invite me. Michael didn't invite me Tuesday. You didn't invite me yesterday. I just feel like you guys are cutting me out. No way, Paige. <laughs> hey, you want to play? Uh, you want to play Sunday? Let's go. Um, I mean, you know, so yesterday um, was was good. Um, I would say that it's true that the people I introduced to the game three years ago, it's like the ones who got hooked. I'm still playing with them. It's like, yeah, I don't really want to go watch someone throw a hundred feet three times each time I play a hole. So I don't know. It's hard. Do you guys, do you guys play with like... beginners ever? Yeah. 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 Do we what? Play with beginners. I have, and I yeah. still kind of I do, do from quite time often. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I don't know if you know Dallas Garber. I took him out to Blue Lake yesterday and was just like, yeah. "All right, kid, this is how you throw a disc." And I had to. Isn't he better than you? <laughs> That's objective. Yes, he is definitely better than Peyton. <laughs> I've seen him on TV. I don't know where I've seen you. <laughs> you see me on TV every Thursday. <laughs> this is a computer monitor. This is what a, TV channel did you see Dallas on? Uh, I saw him on. <laughs> What was it? It's not pros versus Joes, but it was something. What, what's the oh, one where they host Champers Chumps? That's YouTube. Yeah, on that. yeah but I watched it on my TV. But we're on YouTube every week. It's not my fault. Uh, you don't watch me on your TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, you know, you you all, I don't know about like you guys, Josh and Cody, but like Paige, you play so much. I am jealous. Um, and also, I think that's a big difference because for me, I play about once a week. And to me, that's like, that's my time to go do this thing. And I don't really, and like, you know, Tess, if you ever listen to this, you're still welcome to come play disc golf. I'm not saying, I'm just like, I don't want to sound like a total dick here and be like, no, call, I'm never going to play with Call your buddy out by name. Gonna... I love it. No, I'm talking about, that's my wife. I'll say his wife. Oh, oh, oh. He said Tess, I thought. I thought he I meant mean, his wife. my best buddy for sure, but also my wife. Um, and yeah, you're still invited. You can, you know, I think we still have your Nova um, that we can bust out. Um, and uh, that was, I was like, that's a great beginner disc it's kind of like a frisbee but those are i, mean, I have five of them i use it oh, with yeah? kids at school there yeah. you go yeah um but yeah for the most part it's like i want to go compete um with the guys who are going to help me push me to get better because that's like the fun i love it when it's like a thrilling close finish with a casual round and i don't play yeah. that many tournaments i feel like you play a lot of tournaments so you go play casual round you're kind of goofing off whereas for me it's like oh man this is this is my this is what i'm training for i might be playing like you know two three tournaments all year yeah i feel that for sure I don't play 14 a lot of tournaments. tournaments this year already. <laughs> How many? 14? 14 this year, yeah. Oh it's, it hasn't even picked up to the, the summer months yet. That's just over winter. <laughs> I played yeah, one I tournament already, and it was eight hours. And I was told my wife, I was like, listen, it'll be a while before I play that. Why game. was it so long? Like, Dela took us like was, four hours to play. It was two rounds of uh, a long course around here, and it was kind of wet. And there they mixed in rec with MA. Like, th there was different cards placed around. So... It's a pretty challenging course, and there was like a six-card pileup because these rec players were going like every ten feet they'd lose a disc in the woods. Then they'd like yeah. come back, and we we were all like, "Oh my god!" So there was six people waiting for this one group. It probably added an extra hour to two well, hours. There was, day. There's it's a couple like, courses here, like Meadows, where it's like whole eight build up can be like an hour long. I used to bring my massage gun with me on some of these courses, so the lactic acid doesn't build up. Now I saw somebody bring a book, so I might bring be bringing Beijing Payback out at the next tournament and just read it. Do you have audio book? I did. Yeah, I could listen to it while I play. Yeah, I think mm. actually I can pull it up real quick. Uh, Get it up here. Available. What we got? It's available on audiobook, Got paperback. Look at that. Now what is that you on the cover? That looks yeah. like him on the cover. That it does look me. like him. There's All a right, story I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So basically what happened was, so when they, this is the cover just for the paperback. Oh, and um, like if you click on the hard cover, right, there's a different cover. That was the original cover. Um, and to, uh, uh, when the, um, the, you know, basically they're like, hey, we have an idea for the paperback. It's going to be this guy running. Um, and they sent me, you know, an image, like a mock-up of it. And uh, they had a, the wrong city. It was Hong Kong instead of Beijing. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, so you need to change the background. Um, and then the guy running was like, ah. he was kind of like, I'm going to go, I'm late to class. Or he was like, I'm going to go <laughs> restock the cell phones. Like, it, like, he did not look, like, excited. He needs to kill somebody. This yeah. is a, yeah, like, yeah. this guy's solving a crime, you know. 
And so, you know, I was like, this is cool. I love the concept, but could you get um, another image of a guy who looks like he's like an athlete? You know, this guy is a basketball player. He's solving a crime. His dad is dead. Like bullets are flying, you know, like like it look a little more exciting. And they went back, you know, into the image library. So like, yeah, sure, we'll try. And then they came back to me after a few days. You know, my publishers, HarperCollins is in New York City. They have all the resources. They're like, we cannot find an image like that. And to me, this kind of hit like a sensitive spot because I'm Chinese American. Um, I've been going my whole life looking at TV, only seeing Chinese American men in roles in which they are like nerds, right? In which they're like the hacker guy or the guy who's good at math or, you know, there's very few or they're like a, a ninja, you know, but like not like a hero that really, really rare. And, you know, I, I just know if these guys went into their image library and they had to find some athletic dude solving a crime and he had to be white or he had to be black, I don't think they'd have as much trouble, but they had nothing. They're like, we still think it's a good cover. And then my agent, bless her soul, was like, hey, you know, what do you think if, you know, Daniel provided an image and the publisher, to their credit, was super open-minded to that. And they were like, yeah, you know, it's not recognizable. It's funny because people tend to recognize me, but it's like cut off at the nose. Go ahead and uh, shoot it yourself. We'll even give you a budget for a photographer. So I knew a guy who was a photographer. I hired him. We shot the image, and it's on the cover of the book. That's me. Well, see, that's what I, I that's, mean. I love that that's story. Awesome. That's, like, that is not only true like for authors, but that's like disc golf too, right? Like you got to go figure out this world for yourself if you're trying to navigate it in your own your own sense, in your own regard. You can't just there's not there's not resources available right there. Like and granted, I know when it comes to like racial like side of things, it's this is not there. When you talk Native Americans, it's the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, we're romanticized. I joke like Twilight was the thing that made it okay for natives to come back out. And that yeah. was even romanticizing us even in that that same light but it was still like okay cool but it took us in a modern like state and i'm no longer extinct and yeah. i know like uh especially with like uh asian like cinema that's been a huge push this last few years and it's been great seeing like you know even like fresh off the boat turning into like you know what was the one that just came out when won all those awards yeah like, everything everywhere all at once yeah exactly right. like, y'all go check it out i loved that movie i laughed and i yeah. cried for sure and it, it was some so buttons. good yeah yeah i mean i think that you know my instinct also in that situation is just it's like a classic asian american person i was just like i'm just happy for the opportunity to be here you know i pushed back and i was like i want a different image and they're like we don't have it and i was like oh okay well thanks for inviting me anyway you know and it's like you know it's just i'm ready to be like well it's, but, but so that's why i was grateful to my agent who's not asian but was you know is a badass and was like no like let's do something let's fix this you know but the instinct of so many people of color who are invited to the table is just to be like, thanks for having me. Sure, I like I have something to say, but it's not that important, you know. Because thanks, yeah. for just, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not trying to cause any problems. Um, and it's important to have a voice and stand up and speak for for what matters. And you know, I think it's important when we look around us, we look at Asian men. How come, you know, how like people literally DM me? They see, they saw my picture because I was in the New York Times. They're like, hey, I don't usually like Asian guys, but you're blah. Like someone actually sent that to me, and I was like, you think that's cool to say? You know, what you don't usually like Asian guys because every Asian guy you've seen on TV has like thick glasses and a calculator, you know, and then you meet white guys, white guys who are like, oh, I have a thing for Asian girls. And it's like, well, is that because every Asian girl you've ever seen is like animated or has like, you know, like looks like a school, you know, the, the images that are perpetuated in our media. I know we're getting a little off topic on this. No, I mean, I think it's an important but, topic. They're good. Yeah. We like, don't have is, topics here. <laughs> It, and that's why, yeah, stuff like the Oscars are super cool. So, you know, um, everything, everywhere, all at once. There's going to be a Beijing payback movie eventually. We're working on that oh, right yeah. now. Um, Can we you be know, extras? So, yeah. For yeah, just sure. for the background. <laughs> hooking a disc. You'll yeah. see me in L.A. like throwing a disc. You guys can be goon one, two, and three. Yes! <laughs> I'll die. I'll and die. Oh. You can take me out. I'll yeah. die. Oh. Let's do it. But, no, and I think you bring up an important conversation because it is. It's like. It's not just writing and cinema and mainstream. It's disc golf. I used to joke all the time of like, we'd be like, you, me, and Michael would be out there. And we're like, this is probably the most diverse card ever in disc yeah. golf. Because we have like the Chinese American, the Native American, the Filipino. It's like, right. hey, we're definitely the proudest card that's ever been here. But it's like, it cracks me up because like, I wouldn't see other minorities out there playing disc golf. Um, and I always think about like, what is it? Was it knocked up where. He was all like, I could only let in two and a half black men. 
you know, a night. I got a hope a black midget comes in so I can let him in. Like, yeah. and it felt that way for me for the longest time on the disc golf course of being like, oh, yeah, there's only allowed to be three minorities on this disc golf course at a time because that's what it felt like. And so I'd make my jokes um, out of like, you know, just my whole entire life, like will realizing this thing. But it's like, oh, yeah, like here it is. It's a very predominantly like white dominated sport. Um, and so seeing some of those like translatables and it's obviously growing and we're getting more diverse in there, but it's still, you know, it's still grounded in that and finding different ways of being like, okay, how do we grow it? Not just growing the disc golf game. Cause for me, it's important to grow it in Indian country because now I got out of the nine tribes in Oregon, three of the, the tribes here are starting to play disc golf on the reservations. And that's because of me. And that's, that's the important things that I'm trying to perpetuate, even though I don't ever talk about it. And it's just like, to me, they matter. So with that, I know we're going to transition to some of our closing thoughts. So we're going to jump it over to Josh. All right. All right. You know, I kind of want to hit back. We talked about when we have time to go out and, you know, some people go out to try to grind to get really good at disc golf. I feel like there's having like MA3, MA2, and MA1 before going to pro is very important. Um, there's like a local tournament here that only is a uh, only is allowing MA3 and MA1 as the categories, not doing MA2. Uh, and somebody asked them about it, like, why did you not do that? Like, well, it's just Charles? for trophies. <laughs> no, it's just for trophies. So I think it's sufficient just having MA3 and MA1. But here's the problem that I see with it is that I feel like MA1 players are people who they want they want to be good when they go play disc golf they want to play with the best that are just like going for pro or like want to be this the best but not pro it's like a different league the ma3 are people who are getting into tournaments who aren't don't have the best form and can't throw as far as everyone else but still want to come out and start competing getting that experience and then ma2 people in my opinion are people who they disc golf they when they have time they go disc golf they like playing tournaments they got the form down and that going to a tournament that does not have an ma2 level so they're gonna play with like newer people or people who are just like far superior than you because they take it a lot more serious um that's my final thought it was a rant <laughs> josh is a very uh it's a rant. vendetta <laughs> against ma2 sandbaggers uh, that's no, really like, josh. It was, i love i don't know i i've I've questioned myself, like, should I just go down to MA3 sometimes? It's like, MA2, I like the vibe. I like the vibe. I like, do I play yeah. with there? Because, like, I got kids, and, like, I when I get out to play, I'm just, like, get as many people as I can to go with me and just try to do as good as I can. And MA2 is a really good place for me, and I really enjoy every tournament I go to because of it. Yeah, and I think we're all just training for something. It sounds like you're training for MA40 is really what you're training for. <laughs> you know what? I think it's great. I'm training yes. for MP40. I missed my window for MPO, but MP40 is where I'm going to shine. That Masters Tour, woo! My daughter's going to be dominating FPO while You think I... you're going to take down Barsby? Nah, man, Barsby. He got you. Not when I'm 40. He has me now. He beat, He kicked my ass last weekend, but, you know, I at least talked to him. So, you know... I, I know he I know who he is. He knows who I am. So it's like he don't know who you are. Oh, he knows who I am. We talked. A players party. He's probably got that restraining order. That's where no no. This see, guy, that's what we're yeah, talking yeah. about. Did he shove him? Did he find yeah. him? Right. Did hand? you shove him? Hey, yeah. Barsby, what hand you throw with? Yeah. People remember me in disc golf purely because I'm brown, I'm big, and I'm tattooed. They don't see that often on the course, so they're like, "Hey, I don't know you, but I recognize you." I get that all the time. So Barsby. He knows who I am. Hey, you Watch fight out. kids. I'm Watch out, guy. Greg. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cody, what are your closing thoughts? Um, I think, uh, Dan, it was great having you. I think it's yeah. cool that you've been able to blend uh, two of those passions you have. So um, I encourage anyone to whatever passion you have. Uh, it's probably one of them is disc golf if you're listening to this podcast or you just stumbled upon it. So nice to have you but see what you can do and uh combine those passions into doing something you enjoy dan you were able to get like a book done by also juggling getting better at disc golf so find your passion yeah get married yeah find your passion put some time into it and make the best of it that you can 
Absolutely. I think there's like that fine balance of it all because like, I, I don't say it lightly, like you're getting married with that from girlfriend to wife. Like I think a lot of people get all sucked into it all in. And I, I'm realizing when I started reading again, how sucked into like my little hobbies that I get. Cause I didn't put my book down and it was like two days and I'm just like, all my attention is reading. I don't want to disc golf. I don't want, you know, I'm just like reading every chance I get. Like I'm doing, like I'm driving down the road. It's like, can I read one page? Oh, I better not. That's not safe. Like I guess so you can get pulled over it. for that. My buddy yeah. uh, police officer oh, has pulled over people for reading. Yeah. I'm not saying like I, I do. I'm just saying like, it's bad because that's how obsessed I get with things. Disc golf is the same thing. I went off the deep end and, YouTube University was watching everything. So the fact that you could take a relationship from one step and continue to grow it, that's that's all balance. And I don't, don't I don't read and I don't exist people. in that. <laughs> so what are your closing shots? Our thoughts, Danny. Um, oh my gosh. I got some shots to fire. Uh, well, okay, before I go, I want to take a little photo here just because this is just to commemorate this my outfit. Um Guns out, everybody. Yeah, you know, I really think Josh touched on pretty something something important to me, which is like, what do you expect from what you're doing? You know, I think you said this people, was, what do you expect? No, Sorry, like, so... you, know, you know that person, whether you're talking about at the disc golf course or you're talking about in the grocery line, who's like, why is it slow? Or like, why did I miss that? But it's like, did you practice? Did you practice the way you know you need to? Like, what are you doing out here? Because if you're out here to have fun and you play once a week and like, blah, 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 like, well, like, that's me. I play once a week. I don't practice. I don't do field work very much anymore. And like, I don't get mad. Like, yeah, I get frustrated because I'm trying to do well. But if, if I'm doing my hobby that's for fun and I'm having a bad time because I'm not playing well, that's dumb of me, you know? And it's the same thing with writing. It's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get paid to make a living as a novelist i'll tell you like all the books that you see in a bookstore 90 to 95 percent of those people have a day job to get into even just get in the bookstore they had to fight and they still have a day job and to get into that top tier you got to be busted that's that's like being on tour right those people are working hard to me disc golf is something i do for fun in addition to that and relax and so yeah i'm mad when i have a bad round but i try and really put a bracket around that i I try not to yell at myself. I try not to yell at my friends. I try not to punch my car. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. dude, if this is your hobby, have fun and be out here. And if you're, if you belong in MA3, like don't play MA2, you know, and then be mad because you didn't, you know what I mean? Like you're, you know, like do the thing because you can compare yourself to others. You can dream big, but if you're not, you know, if you're not saying this is going to be my grind and I'm going to go nuts on this, then have fun with it. You know, so, like pick your level, align mm -hmm. your expectations with reality and that's happiness. Success isn't happiness. Matching your expectations with reality is happiness. Hey, you you get out what you Love put it. in. Love it. Yeah. I was telling – so we're training for uh, Junior Olympics at my school right now. And I told our kids during practice, said, you're going to get out what you put in. You put in a lot of work. You're going to get in. You're going to get a lot of good statistics from this. If you just joke around and goof off, uh, you're probably going to have fun, but you're probably not going to do very well. So I like that. No, like and managing those expectations too and setting realistic ones because I think that's where I get to. Like, I feel like not taking my practice as seriously and being casual like has helped my mental game so much because I still play with people that are trying to win practice. And it's just like, it's the only sport I know that people try to win practice. No other sport I feel like is that way. Um, yeah, they're trying to win. They're trying to do good. They're trying to get the most points if it's live scrimmaging. And I get that. But that's a time to explore things in those practices. And if you're trying to get there, you're going to forever stunt yourself. So for me, like breaking through that has been great. And I feel like my headspace has been the best it's ever been on the practice course. And I think last week was just that, like I randomly got to do a full 18 with like Chandler Kramer, watched him ace, which was like huge. Um, loved, loved that guy, but it's like, Oh yeah, I'm having a great time. Like what I would be upset at if I'm missing these putts It's like, I got another putter, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, it's having fun with it. So for me, I did want to like, give a huge shout out, Danny. Like, we're definitely gonna have to have you back because I just enjoy talking with you. That's why I'm yeah. so upset you didn't invite me out. Um, because oh, it's gosh. just like let it go. You know, no, I don't That's let things go. I'm very petty. It's a call you, know, you, you out. He told us. 
I was Petty Page. How long? I'm super petty, guys. I'm still one of those people that are out here saying championship courses are built for championship level Josh, just go. Go to the sponsors. Talk about Dan's book. Just mute him. Mute him, please. My closing thoughts are be as petty as you can because that's going to reward you in the long run. So with that, we're going to transition to this week's sponsor, Soul Crusher. Manny Trujillo. Amazing individual. We're going to have him back on in a few weeks to months, depending on his schedule. It's soccer season, so he mm-hmm. coaches youth soccer, so we want to have him back on here. But if you want to support players by supporting the artist, Soul Crusher is where it's at. He does a lot of amazing art. He's just an amazing human being and individual. I, of course, am sucking up to him because I, I wanted say, to he design a like stamp for me. <laughs> he does, does not, not like, like me at all. At all. No. <laughs> so I'm trying to suck up. But also... Check out Beijing Payback. If you can pull this up again, Josh, it's twelve fifty nine on Amazon, guys. It went down in price on as we're talking about it. Um, this supports not only our guest, but it's a good mystery action thriller. So I'm told um, it's on my to read list. <laughs> I, I'm gonna read it. I just. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the right time for uh, just mystery, going off of how move. Danny how Danny talks. It makes me want to read this book. Exactly. I just yeah. like the cover. Mm. <laughs> just, mm. All yeah, right, guys. Design, so thanks. with that, yeah. we'll see you next week and keep jamming it in the rough. <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs>